Trevor Karitz, and as always, we have Steve Smith checking in. Hey, checking in right here. We have Coach Dan. Um, how you doing, buddy? Tell us a little bit about yourself. We haven't had you on yet on the podcast. No, I'm, uh, I'm losing my evolutionary radio virginity right now, but I'm Coach Dan Garner, and i um, uh, been a coach for a long time in this industry. Um, I've got a, worked in a high level now. I started as a base personal trainer at a Gold's Gym in uh, London, Ontario, but worked my way up into the industry to now where I've got a year-round stable of athletes in the UFC, the NFL, the NHL, the MLB. I've worked with a lot of celebrities as well, um, Olympic gold medalists. I've, I've had a lot of people um, do some really cool things on my watch. I've had my clients win UFC titles. I've had clients win Super Bowls while I'm their coach. Done some pretty cool stuff. So I'm 100% online now and work with athletes all across the world and, and personal trainers and business execs, anybody who's essentially looking to optimize their performance or body composition and take things to the next level. Dan, are you still in Canada? Yes, yeah, I'm still in Canada. I just recently got an office building and a new house um, in London, Ontario. So that's where I'm at right now. I just moved here from Calgary. Okay, Canada, I'm in Winnipeg. Oh, nice, right on, You're right nearby. Steve's in Florida. Okay, cool. Man, I didn't know you were up in Winnipeg. I've been to Winnipeg several times. Hockey players. Yeah, so that's about all we have. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Pretty much the entire population of Manitoba is just right in Winnipeg. And then, like, Brandon is, like, a hard, hard step down. And then pretty much grasslands after that. Do, do people, like, from, like, North Dakota and northern Minnesota and stuff, do they drive? Are they, like, Winnipeg fans? Or, or are they more, like... Minnesota fans in hockey. You, you, you know what, Steve? We always have people driving up from North Dakota. And do you want to know why? Hookers? Drinking age. Oh, the drinking age is different? Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to say it's because uh, marijuana is legal now. <laughs> probably, probably for that, too. That's yeah, <laughs> you might get more. You're going to have to need some real enticing offer to get anybody to drive to Manitoba. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> well, no, college students, because in the U.S., the drinking age is 21. Uh, yeah. All these 20-year-olds will come drive down on the weekend because they can come get liquored up here. Yeah. Is there a city close to the south? Most of them drive to Winnipeg. All so the way to Winnipeg. That's pretty cool. Five, six hours. It's, it's a pretty hefty drive. That's dedication. I like it. I, well, I, I, would, I would just get a fake ID or something personally. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. But anyways. So, 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 yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about, Dan, uh, who are some athletes um, that you've been working uh, with that our listeners would, would know, um, either in sports or in bodybuilding or something? Can you uh, shoot us some names? Because I, I always, like, when I always go to see, you know, a chiropractor or an acupuncturist or whatever, that's the first thing I look for is when I walk in, I want to, I want to know who have you worked with, like prove it to me, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I've uh, worked with plenty and I'm not going to just sit here and name drop because I've worked with a ton of athletes, but um, I've worked with, uh, for example, Shay McClellan. Shay McClellan was a the starting linebacker for the Patriots and they just won the Super Bowl recently. I was his coach at that time. He's a coach of UFC heavyweight Travis Brown. He's a coach of Michael Bisping, and he won the UFC middleweight title on my watch. The coach of Ronda Rousey as well. Um, coach of a K-1 um, world um, title fighter for, uh, um, for K-1, if you're familiar with the fighting world. Elliot Compton, UFC fighter Damian Brown. Um, a, lot of, a lot of athletes I've had on, on my roster. Um, Frederick Anderson is a current, currently the Toronto Maple Leafs goalie. I uh, work with him as well. I was his coach when he got his big contract from moving from Anaheim to Toronto, uh, among many, many, many others. So some, some cool big names there. So what are you doing with them in terms of coaching? Are you, are you providing them nutritional coaching, weight training coaching? Um, what, what specific type of coaching are you providing so that we can kind of, you know, pick your brain on, um, what you best you can do because a lot of our listeners you know are 
really, you know, legit, you know, into weight training and stuff. We really want to pick your brain on this stuff. Sure. So I, I, in many cases, I function as like a trifecta. Um, in many cases, I've been the coach for the nutrition, um, for the nutritional meal plan design, but then also the lab analysis and also the training program design. But in a lot of cases, I'm just the nutrition guy. So that's kind of like how I broke into the um, working with pro athletes world. I was as the nutrition guy who does lab analysis. So in many cases, that's what I do. But um, lots of times when I start getting talking with these athletes and I start building trust with them and we work together very well, then eventually I take care of their training as well. So I do, I do cover all three aspects of lifestyle, nutrition, and training. But in most cases, most of the time, I am the nutrition guy for these people. So for our listeners, really spoiled to have Dan on the podcast because he's one of the best. Dan, the reason I wanted to reach out to you is generally the people who listen to this podcast aren't beginners. You know, we, we always, you're always going to get some beginners. Most of them have been training, you know, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I feel that most people kind of hit that five-year slump where they're, they found some article on bodybuilding.com or something like that. They're getting their newbie gains. They're seeing really, really good results. But then once they hit their fourth or fifth year, they kind of hit a slump and they don't really know what to do because what they were always doing that was working isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that is that very common? Do you see that a lot? Yeah, that happens all the time. That happens with pretty much everybody, um, including us, I'm sure. They, things are great for the first little while um, because basically anything you do works. And it's very easy to stay motivated. It's very easy to attend the gym and stay adherent to whatever nutritional protocol that you're doing when it's working. It's always fun when um, you're seeing your body change. But once you have even three years of proper training under your belt, proper training, it's hard to keep moving that dial forward. It's tough. Um, You run into, I'd say, like at the two, three-year mark, things definitely start slowing down a lot. And then at the five-year mark, you're kind of clawing with your fingernails to make any further progress in anything, whether it's strength, hypertrophy, performance, mobility. You've got a lot of balls in the air, and the maintenance of those balls in the air takes a lot out of your recovery capacity. And you aren't what you can do. You only are what you can recover from. So when you have a recovery capacity need for maintenance just of all those things, everything becomes very heightened. So when I'm looking at people and I'm looking at how I'm gonna coach them, one of the biggest factors that you need to take into consideration is their experience. And I kinda like to look at look kind of like to look at the coaching process with people as far as quantitative and qualitative. So the first one to five years of your strength and conditioning career are very quantitative. So following outside in recommendations quantitatively are what is gonna drive you for a long ways for a long time. Now, when I say outside in, I mean working with what we know from scientific theory on training and nutrition and utilizing those approximations from the outside in to impact upon the body. So using evidence-based recommendations for setting calories, setting protein, setting carbs, setting fat, altering your nutrient timing strategies and the macronutrient composition of the nutrient timing throughout the day, um, meal frequency, and then ultimately setting your training volume, intensity, frequency, all these things from the outside in are phenomenally important to have, but they're all very quantitative. And that's the first half of your training career. The second half of your training career would be what I would call qualitative. So we move from quantitative to qualitative and qualitative really comes from the inside out. So having the self-awareness to know, now you know what works for you, what exercises feel a little bit better for you, what foods you do better with, what type of carb to fat ratio you perform better with and look better with, what meal frequency you work better with. There is so much in terms of qualitative, how I'm now assessing myself qualitatively as opposed to using outside in quantitative measures to move forward. So focusing on things like stress and my sleep, having the self-awareness to know where my problems lie, where I need to address them, what is working for me. So I think that when we're talking about somebody who's got to the five-year mark or the three-year mark and somebody who has currently struggling in order to move forward, 
in many cases, we are looking outside for the new answers, when in almost all cases, we need to turn the dial around and look inside for the answers, because we know what's working for us at this point and what we need to stick with and just simply be patient with. So I think that's a huge factor of getting somebody results who um, is currently slowing down at the five-year mark. And the second factor of getting somebody results after the five-year mark is true optimization. Um, the basics will get people very far and they should always be there in some form. They should the basics should always be there. The big lifts, the volume intensity percentages that you should be sticking to depending upon your goal, making sure calories and macros are in check, all those things should always be there. But there is optimization and you can find optimization in the form of advanced recovery methods or utilizing lab analysis to get bigger answers about something that could possibly be holding you back right now that we could potentially eliminate and or manage to allow your biology to focus more on adapting to your training program as opposed to focusing on this issue that it currently has in the body. Does those kind of things make sense with qualitative and lab analysis? Yeah, that was, there was a lot of really good cold nuggets there, Dan. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about lab analysis because that's a really good topic. And now, I mean, there's so many options. There's blood work, there's stool analysis, there's cortisol testing, there's urine testing, there's, you can do heart rate variability. Especially for someone who's new to all that, like it, it can seem very overwhelming. What would you recommend, you know, as a, as a first start? As a first start, I mean, it kind of depends on the budget because your first start could be the two foot jump in the pool. <laughs> you could do everything. Um, a lot of times people come to me um, for their first lab ever and I put them on my most advanced package because, you know, you don't have to like um, like in training, you don't give an amateur an Olympic lift on their first program. But if an amateur comes to me, I can still get their stool, urine, saliva, and blood analysis assessed. So it, there's no buildup process when it comes to labs. So it just simply comes down to budget and how important it is to you. A lot of these labs are less expensive than people think. You know, someone can easily spend over a hundred bucks um, going out for a movie and buying dinner. If the, with their spouse. So you're buying two dinners plus the movie, plus any crap you get at the theater, you're easily spending a hundred bucks at that point. But a lot of labs are a hundred bucks or less. So it's, I just think it's kind of crazy how so many people will, um, you know, get their car fixed every three months and have someone look at their car, but then they've never spent labs on their vehicle, their, their true vehicle that they have. You know, you can't have somebody fix your car every three months and then never look at your own body. You have to live in this vehicle forever. So I, I like people to see that and then open up the budget for it, or at least save for it if they don't have the budget now. But if somebody just wanted something super basic, you can just go to your doctor and get your standard physical done, just get your CBC done. If you get a CBC and CMP, which is your complete blood count and your comprehensive metabolic panel, these are very cheap things. It's almost always covered by insurance. And if not, it's like 40 bucks for each of them. It's very, very cheap. And you can get insight towards stuff like your red blood cell count. If your red blood cell count is very low, it indicates uh, that you have low levels of B vitamins in your body. It's an indication there. If your ALP is off, so your alkaline phosphatase, if this is very low, it indicates that you have low levels of zinc. Zinc is super important for immune function and thyroid function. So if we see something, like there is even research, and I can't remember what year it was, but there is research done on two females, and they were both elite volleyball players, and they both had a zinc deficiency. And they both had a zinc deficiency and they were given zinc supplementation each day and RMR was measured over the course of this trial. And by the third month, the subject number one who repleted her zinc status increased her RMR by 900 calories a day, 900 calories a day from zinc supplementation because zinc supplementation allowed T4 to be effectively converted to T3, which boosted her RMR up, which is insane. So it's like some people, and this brings us all the way back to the five-year question, like, hey, I'm doing everything right, but I'm not getting results. Why is this? I can't possibly need a steeper caloric deficit. Well, in some cases, they are doing everything right. 
but there's that underlying little thing that can create a ripple effect in physiology because something as simple as a zinc deficiency or even a suboptimal zinc status, that's so prevalent in today's society. There's so many people with low zinc, there's so many people with low vitamin D, so many people with low magnesium, and the impact that bringing these micronutrient statuses up, that what that can have on physiology, like that girl can now have three more meals a day and not gain a single ounce of fat for it because their RMR is going to cover for it. And now those three more meals can go towards things like recovery, go towards things like fueling performance and go towards important qualitative factors like satiety and adherence. So just getting something simple is way better than doing nothing at all. So anybody who could get a CBC and CMP and have somebody look at it, that would be very smart and wise to do. And then if there's any indications of where you could go further, maybe you saw a very, very high white, white blood cell count, and then, hey, maybe it's good to do a stool analysis from here. You know, you could do that and branch off, but starting with that basic blood panel, I think is something that uh, everybody could do and get insight on and move forward with. But, but wait a minute, Dan. Um, you know, we, we've actually, see, this is one of the things I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday. Let's say um, you have high cholesterol in your mm -hmm. body, and the doctor tells you you need to stop eating cholesterol, you need to stop eating eggs, you need to stop eating this, you need to stop eating that, anything with cholesterol. So they do that, and then after six months, whatever, they test their cholesterol again, and their cholesterol is still high. Well, I'm not eating anything with cholesterol. What's going on? Mm. Isn't that kind of misleading, though? Like, isn't that kind of like, oh, here's my blood work. This is low. This is high. You got to adjust what you put in your body to correct it. How many times do we see people with a B12 deficiency take B12 and it doesn't change anything because it's not that they don't have B12, it's that their body's not releasing the B12. Their body's not functioning correctly. Their digestion isn't functioning correctly. So, um, you know, like when you're dealing with athletes, like what you're saying, maybe they're probably already doing everything right, like you said, but like the normal Joe isn't doing everything right. Like they mm. legitimately have like digestion issues that have been building for years and years, like someone with Crohn's disease, for example, or leaky gut, you can give them all the B12 you want. They're still never going to get enough B12. Like, so can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it sounds like you kind of answered it. If people are not doing the process, then they're not going to get results. So when you have a result on a test, that's why I'm, I'm more comfortable with getting comprehensive testing because you're able to identify the root cause of an issue instead of the symptom. So in your scenario, your context that you gave me was having a lower B12 status. And then we would move forward from there and try and give that client B12. But then their B12 doesn't go up, so it's misleading. And I would agree with you. But now we have to turn our coaching brains on and put on our inspector magnifying glass and have a look at this because we know that B12 doesn't get absorbed in the stomach. What happens, B12, something in the stomach known as intrinsic factor gets released from the stomach and it grabs onto B12 like a cocoon. An intrinsic factor will hold on to B12 all the way until the ileum. So the very last third section of the small intestine, and then it binds to a B12 receptor in the small intestine, so the very bottom. So it goes through the stomach, through the duodenum, through the jejunum, and into the ileum, and then finally binds onto a B12 receptor. So we have to kind of identify what's happening there, and it's exactly what you said. Okay, why is an intrinsic factor delivering um, the B12 all the way to the ileum receptor in order to actually get B12 in the body, which would then represent itself as adequate B12 status within the blood? something happened. Is it leaky gut? Is it Crohn's? Is it IBS? Is it because there is damage in the stomach due to a bacterial infection? That's our job. So if we saw low B12 and then we introduced B12 and it didn't work, then we know that we would just need more lab analysis to identify and try and troubleshoot moving forward. So if that never worked, I would probably do two things. I would A, 
put that client on sublingual B12 so that we can bypass the stomach altogether. So you can get sublingual B12, have B12 enter the blood, build B12 status up. In the meantime, work on the gut so we can have adequate B12 for energy metabolism and then try and troubleshoot from there and perhaps order a stool analysis, perhaps order a leaky gut panel, perhaps do whatever you need to do to actually identify the root cause and not just address the symptom. Dan, you're reading my mind. I was about to say, if you're not using a sublingual B12, a B12 spray, or a B12 injection, you're wasting your time. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. The, the best one is a B12 injection. And a lot of people get scared of that because they think an injection, but it's a sub-Q injection. It's with an insulin needle, so it doesn't hurt at all. Yeah, and it's B12. I mean whatever, <laughs> you know, people shouldn't be afraid, especially if they need it. Um, you know, there's a lot of medicines out there that uh, they, they can be damaging in one way, shape or form. And a lot of people will be quick to do that, but they do get scared of the sublingual, I mean, sorry, the subcutaneous B12 injection, and they shouldn't at all. It's something that's super, super safe to do and can be effective. One thing I really agree with you, Dan, is that the problem we have with our current healthcare is that even if you went to your doctor and said, hey, I want to get my B12 status checked, they're checking for deficiency, not your optimal number, right? So you totally. get your 12 number be about 200, and your doctor would be like, oh, yeah, that's great. The optimal number for an athlete would be more like 500 to 600. So yeah. even though you're not deficient, it's not optimal. It's kind of the difference between what's necessary and what's best. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this whole conversation, we could link everything all the way back to the person who's plateaued at five years. Because all of these tiny things aren't going to impact performance and body composition and somebody who's a newbie, you know, that optimal B12 status might not be necessary. But for the starting linebacker, the Patriots, it's going to be necessary. And that's kind of my job to move things from normal to optimal. That's what I'm always seeking because, and there's always a difference, you know, if you kind of go to the standard healthcare system today, then what's going to happen is you're not going to have a problem until you have a problem. So you're essentially within the normal range until you're not. Whereas guys like you and I, we'd say, okay, that's trending low or okay, that's trending high. So then let's actually look at the trending status so we can be proactive and predictive of the future as opposed to reactive and pay the consequence of it getting out of range. So yeah, definitely normal to optimal and seeing trending patterns is so important. Dan, talk to us a little bit about saliva testing, urine testing, and stool testing. What are those for? Most of our listeners have probably heard of blood work or probably getting blood work regularly yeah. done with the physical. Those are some yeah. new ones that most people don't hear much about. Yeah, for sure. So you can you always get a lot of value. So there's value to be had in any kind of test. And they're all tools. And a tool is only ever as good as its application. So when we apply these tests correctly, then we're able to get a greater overall view of one's physiology like a lot of people if you get just one test you kind of get a snapshot of somebody's physiology but if you are able to get a variety of specimens then you're able to get the full movie of somebody's physiology so instead of just blood let's go blood saliva urine and stool analysis and then what we can gather from there allows us to identify the troubleshooting pattern that we should be looking for when it comes to actual root cause based coaching and not just symptom based coaching because the symptom is never the problem the symptom is always the result of the problem and then we have to find out that root cause and address accordingly from there so when it comes to saliva testing saliva testing is beneficial for free hormonal analysis so you're able, instead of serum testosterone, you're able to get measures on free testosterone. So in a saliva test, we can get testosterone, we can get estradiol, which is estrogen, we can get estrone, which is a weaker form of estrogen, slightly weaker than estradiol. We can get a melatonin read, it on, read on somebody's physiology. So then with that saliva test, we're able to, just with the two measures, if we're getting the four-point salivary cortisol, plus the melatonin, that's a pretty powerful indication towards somebody's circadian rhythm and how well that's working, somebody's sleep-wake cycle. 
So sleep-wake cycle, that's connected to so many different things in the literature at this point in time. Everything from body temperature to hormonal rhythms to your actual depression. There's a big issue with shift workers and their sleep-wake cycle and overall rates of depression. So a lot of things that we can look at there, not just body composition related, but also health related, but also psychologically related. So I really like salivary testing because it gives me a real time feedback. So instead of one blood draw in the morning, if you are to take a four point salivary cortisol testing, for example, I'm able to measure your stress hormone release in the morning, in the mid morning, in the afternoon and at nighttime to ensure that your entire day looks the way in which it should and is optimal or at least normal throughout the entire day. But we can't get that with just a one-shot deal in the morning. So I think that saliva really stands out as important in there. When it comes to urinary testing, urinary testing allows us to see bile acids and it also allows us to see something known as urinary indicant. And when you're looking at bile acids and indican, you're able to get an excellent indication on both protein metabolism and fat metabolism. Because in some cases, people's macros and calories can be right, but it's not always the food that's any kind of issue. It's the physiology that the food is going into. So if it's and put another way, it's not what you eat, it's what you actually digest and assimilate. So the physiology has to be functioning optimally in order for the nutrient to create its adaptive effect on the body that we want it to have. And urine gives us a good insight there. And then when it comes to stool analysis, stool analysis is like one of my favorites. And you know, you said that uh, a lot of people are afraid of B12. Try and get people to poo into a cup <laughs> for three days. <laughs> that's something that's so hard to do. I've got people who've had like digestive issues for like five years, like Dan, I've tried everything. What should I do? I'm like, okay, have you ever done a stool analysis? No. Okay, let's do that. Is there a way around this? Do I really have to poo in a cup? And I'm like, yes, you have to do it. You've had symptoms for five years. But the stool analysis, that gives us insight towards things that are very important. Like if you have a fungal yeast or bacterial infection or perhaps a parasitic infection, these are all so much more common than people think they are. And beyond that, we get further validation on protein metabolism um, and uh, fat metabolism because we've got a lot of fats in the stool. Then we know that fat metabolism is suffering somewhere along the digestive chain. And then it's my job to identify that root cause as to why there's oily stools, which is, represents fat in the stool. So a lot, a lot of stuff that we can gather here. And blood is fantastic. I, blood analysis is totally awesome but it's a tool and you need to apply different tools to get different jobs done. So I like to use saliva, urine, blood, um, saliva, urine, blood, and stool in order to um, truly optimize somebody's physiology and identify any sort of root cause that could be holding them back right now from moving forward and becoming the best version of themselves. So after the, so since you're doing all this online, I'm assuming you're just sending people to different places to do this. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your American clients, Canadian clients? Like, what's the whole um, what's the whole plan in terms of getting them to go do it? Because a lot of states in the United States, some states you can go to um, you know get a private lab work done. Some states you can't. You have to go through a doctor. So it's all kind of screwy with that. What is the best strategy? for guys listening to this to kind of do all this, what you're talking about, and then come to you. Yeah, so I take the I take the complication right out of it, man. So I am a functional medicine practitioner, so I have the legality to send labs to people's doorstep. So I, I avoid that completely. So I send the labs to my client's doorstep. They fulfill the kit at home, urine, stool, whatever it's gonna be, they fulfill saliva, they fulfill that at home. And then what they do is then they ship that kit to the lab. And then since I'm the practitioner, the lab sends me the results and then I'm able to move forward from there. So you'll have a lot of coaches who, if they have their online business practices intact and on point, they'll be able to provide this for you. They're gonna have somebody who they can refer if they don't have the legality to do it, then they'll have somebody they can refer to get this lab to you. But you don't have to 
like uh, you were talking earlier about some physicians and um, it can be frustrating sometimes, but it's just that that can happen. If you go into your physician and ask for a lab, a lot of times they say no, which is kind of crazy. They only give you a lab if you're sick. They don't actually give you a lab to be re reactive and be healthy. It's kind of crazy. It's sick-based instead of health-based. So I order the labs personally, myself, send them to the doorstep. They fulfill the kit. They send it to the lab. Lab processes the results, get sent to me. I give them a call. We start the coaching process. So find that guy <laughs> to do that. Um, there, there's, more than there's more of them than just me out there, but that's what I do. It's uh, Whenever I take on a client, I always try to try to take on the position of hard on me, easy on them. I want to remove as much resistance as possible in the process so that I can, I can be a lot more efficient and they can be a lot more adherent. So if you don't have any of that, um, if somehow none of that connected with you or clicked with you, um, then I would just recommend probably going to a naturopath in the area because they're more likely to, add, to order different labs for you than a physician but I've seen tons of physicians order these labs for people. So where there's a will, there's a way. Most of these lab corps are pretty good. If you just reach out to them individually and say, hey, I want to get some stool analysis or urine analysis done, most of them will provide you the requisition form. Yeah. And then they'll send you a tube or whatever, and you literally just pee in it or crap in it and then ship it back. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it's another super easy way. That, yeah, it's like I said, where there's a will, there's a way. Anybody can, um, can get this stuff done. Yeah, you like I've I've reached out to a bunch of them, and I I have my holistic nutritionist certification, everything like that, and they didn't even ask for it. They were just like, cool. "Yeah, here here you go." As yeah. long as you're paying them, that's all they really care about, right? It's a business. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, it's super. If you're having trouble finding labs, I have some people who have trouble finding labs in Germany. Some of my German clients they have issues with it, but my UK. My Japanese, I have clients in Russia, I have clients in Australia, US. Um, there's just no issues. I, I don't see many issues at all. But um, some countries, there's issues, I guess. But um, for most people, most of the time in US and Canada, it should be pretty easy. Talk to us a little bit more about the stool in the urine showing protein and fat digestion. Is that a problem you see often in bodybuilders who are generally eating a lot of meat? Yeah, but I mean, it's a problem that you'll kind of see in anybody. Like when, you, when you're looking at digestion, there's so many different points to the chain. You've got the mind state that you were in while you were eating the food, right? If you're stressed, um, you, you're, if stress all by itself has been demonstrated to reduce hydrochloric acid secretion, which is important for not only breaking protein down by itself, but there's something else in the stomach called pepsinogen. And that's the inactive enzyme that breaks down protein. But once HCL comes into contact with pepsinogen, pepsinogen converts into pepsin, and then pepsin is able to break the protein down as well. So HCL not only breaks down protein itself, but it activates pepsin to break down the protein as well. So we, there's two shots there, but it kind of begins in the mind because stress has been demonstrated to reduce HCL, and then HCL can cause that rippling effect on protein maldigestion. And then what can happen from here is kind of leading a segue into the question you asked me about the urinary analysis of protein digestion. So there's something you can pick up known as the urinary indicant. And urinary indicant gives insight to protein digestion because if you didn't break down the full protein source that you had, let's say that you ate a piece of chicken and that you secreted enough um, pepsinogen and hydrochloric acid to break down 90% of that chicken, okay? Just for ease of numbers. Let's say you broke down 90% of that chicken and then it went, it not only got digested in the stomach, but it also moved forward to become assimilated by the small intestine. Easy peasy, done, successful. But there's 10% of that chicken left in the stomach now. There's 10% of that chicken's kind of just sitting there. And what happens to protein when it gets eaten by bacteria? Called rancidification, I mean, sorry, it's called putrefication. Rancidification is when fats get eaten by bacteria. Putrefication is when proteins get eaten by bacteria. So they putrefy, it's the very ugly word, but it's just the truth. That's what happens when proteins get eaten by bacteria, they putrefy. So that remaining 10% of chicken in your stomach will get eaten by bacteria. 
And bacteria, when they eat protein, the protein putrefies. But bacteria are a living species that not only eats, but they also poop. So this bacteria will eat the remaining protein, and then they poop out something known as indole. Now, indole is highly um, damaging to our stomach. It's highly toxic to our digestive system. So the liver right away will say, holy crap, we don't want any of this indole within our physiology. So what I'm going to do, since I'm the liver, I'm going to run this thing through phase one and phase two detoxification and get it out of the body. So what happens is indole then gets transferred to the liver. The liver converts indole into a non-harmful non compound known as indican. And then indican will be sent out for excretion to get out of the body in the form of urine. So when we're looking at urinary indican, it's either positive or negative. You either had protein that was putrefying in your body or you didn't. So if we get a positive rating on this indican, I know that not all of the protein that you're taking in is getting optimally digested and assimilated. And that's really important to care about because protein is what's going to help us recover from exercise. But the amino acids, they're important for so many different organ and brain processes within the body. Protein's incredibly important. So if we aren't what we eat, but we are what we eat and actually absorb, then I have to care about these little small nuanced things that we can pick up within the urine. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it makes really good sense. I got a follow-up question for you, Dan. People yeah. are drinking these amino acid shakes at breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? They're drinking BCAs like it's the like it's Kool-Aid or something, right? Getting jacked, bro. Would yeah. Would, <laughs> would that amino acid would that also cause putrefaction, or would it not cause putrefaction because there's no digestion required? It would not because there's no digestion required. None. Mm -hmm. It's that 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 free-form amino acid. The breakdown process is done when you go when you eat protein. Protein is going to get chewed up in the mouth, and then it's going to go through the HCL and pepsin process within the stomach. It's going to be taken back down in and then get attacked by the pancreas, by proteins and by trypsin and by all kinds of other protein enzymes that break protein down. And then it's going to be transferred over to the liver. But by the time it gets to the liver, after all of those digestive process, plus the brush border enzymes on the small intestine, we've got so many different things breaking it down. It is just very simple peptides or single amino acids at that point. But the whole process of breaking a piece of chicken down and then getting it to the liver for to get released systemically through circulation is to break it down into a free form amino acid. So if we take something in the free form amino acid, it's just gonna go right through. It's got like this security VIP pass through the entire body, no breakdown needed. Just like taking in glucose, it's a piece of cake, it's gonna be elevated in the bloodstream very, very quickly. We got another question for you. A lot of people suffer from not enough HCL. It's pretty common, especially yeah. people who are highly stressed. Yeah. So really good supplement is a betaine HCL. I, I might be not be able to pronounce that. Betaine HCL supplement. It's basically hydrochloric acid. Yeah. Now, most of these supplements come with pepsinogen in them. If you look at the supplement packs, it'll contain like 500 milligrams of betaine HCL and some pepsinogen. Yep. One thing I've always wondered, and I've actually reached out to a couple of supplement manufacturers, and none of them replied to my email, is that. Wouldn't the betaine HCL cause the pepsinogen to convert to pepsin in the capsule? That's what I would think. Yeah, definitely. Because that's why pepsinogen doesn't ever get secreted unless HCL is in the body. If we just had the active form of pepsin in our body, then it could actually just eat away at our stomach and at our organs because it's an enzyme. It's too stupid to know what it should, what it should and shouldn't eat. So if we just had pepsin circulating around, we could get eaten by that. But our safety protective mechanism is to have it in the form of pepsinogen so that it only gets converted when it's, uh, when it's ever come into contact with HCL. But if you're putting pepsinogen and HCL in the same capsule, then you're damn right. That, that totally would convert it into pepsin right in the capsule. That would be, that's just physiology. So if you're taking that fed in HCL supplement with food, then that's not really an issue. But I've seen some people recommend taking it on an empty stomach to try to like clear up leaky gut or things like that. But then you could actually digest your stomach lining. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. Taking it without food doesn't make any sense. It simply doesn't. Um, I, I can't see any 
physiological reason why somebody would take HCL without food because the point of HCL, HCL's got like a few main functions. It breaks protein down, it activates pepsinogen into pepsin, it kills um, anything in your food that shouldn't be there. HCL is the whole reason why the gut is so acidic because one of its jobs is to kill parasites, fungus, yeast, bacteria, anything on your food that shouldn't be there. And then HCL, one of, it's one of the main things that triggers the uh, closing of the esophageal sphincter. So HCL does closes the esophageal sphincter. It kills anything that shouldn't be in your food that is on your food. It breaks protein down, and it turns pepsinogen into pepsin. These are all things that happen with food. <laughs> so taking it without food, it's functionless. It doesn't make any sense. And it's even funnier that it's um, in the same capsule with pepsinogen. That's, uh, that's like a double, I don't know what the hell you're trying to do move with supplementation. <laughs> so Dan, um, we're coming up. I think we got 10 or 15 minutes left in our hour, but... Um... A lot of our listeners, you know, they go to the their typical franchise gym guys. You know, they go to the gym, you know, four or five times a week, lift weights. You know, you're obviously a very knowledgeable guy. What are some of the things that, you know, kind of summarizing this whole podcast? And we talked a lot about things that are really over, you know, <laughs> over the head of a lot of guys. But in plain English, what are some like two or three things that, you know, those of us normal Joes that are that are weight weight training are doing that um, that we can change, you know, to kind of boost our health, whether it be, you know, are we, you know, maybe eating too many meals a day? Are we not, um, getting a, a enough vitamins? Should we be injecting B12? Should be, we be doing something with our, um, you know, something, is there something off with our urine? What are the most common things that you're noticing today, you know, um, from guys that are coming to you? Um, I would say that there's probably two main things. Uh, the first one thing I'd want to say is that a lot of people suffer from what I call oversimplification syndrome. And I have personally diagnosed the entire health and fitness industry with oversimplification <laughs> syndrome because a lot of times what we try to do is outsmart biology. And 10 times out of 10, biology is smarter than us. So when it comes to oversimplification, what we try to do is isolate a vitamin or a mineral or an antioxidant or a phytonutrient, and then we try to mass dose that isolated nutrient to create a specific effect on our body. But this is very, very, very silly thinking. Us trying to get an isolated effect from a nutrient is comparable to you and I right now saying that vowels are so important for us to create sentences that we should extract more vowels out of the English language and put them in our podcast so they can create their vowel effect on our conversation. And it doesn't work like that because the English language could be compared to a whole food because a whole food is so much more than just the sum of its parts. The intersynergy between all of the things within that food, the carbs, the fiber, the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, those work in synergy in, as a whole in creating a nutrition language that needs to be utilized as a whole, as opposed to trying to isolate just resveratrol, just vitamin C. To compare just vitamin C to the effects that an orange can have on physiology is comparable to saying that vowels should be uh, in every single sentence, no matter what, because that's going to create the best effect on the English language and allow us to be more eloquent. It doesn't make any sense. Whole foods are going to be mass dosed isolated nutrients 10 times out of 10. So if you're a new guy at the gym, don't get jacked taking tons of leucine. Don't think you're gonna burn a lot of fat taking a bunch of carnitine. Don't think that you're going to be healthy just because you supplement with curcumin. The entire nutrition as a whole begins and ends with whole foods. So that would be the first thing that I would say. Focus on diet and let's not focus on supplementation for a long, 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 long time until you really, really, really need it. And then even still, diet still 
99% of what's going to happen. Supplementation is going to be that final 1%. And it better be context specific and it better be root cause based. You better have a justification for that. So that's kind of area number one that I would want people to increase their health by if they're a little bit confused right now. Focus on foods and not isolated nutrients. You can't oversimplify physiology. The second thing that I'd want them to focus on is that although we talked about high level stuff today and I've worked with high level clients and I've done all these high level results, whenever somebody comes to me, I treat them as a human before I treat them as a pro athlete. Meaning this basic stuff still works 10 times out of 10. If you focus on reducing your stress, if you focus on um, eating the right foods, if you focus on getting a good sleep at night, these things are gonna have the biggest effect on physiology. So if you're looking for a specific periodization strategy, a specific rep scheme, or a specific isolated nutrient in order to get a result, but you're sleeping five hours a night, you've got the cart before the horse and you're mowing the lawn while your house is on fire. You've got the, you're looking at the wrong problem right now. Don't worry about your grass if your house is on fire. So focus on the big rocks that get results like stress, sleep, and a good diet. And then the rest really just is a very, very minute thing. So don't oversimplify, focus on the big things and treat yourself as a human before you treat yourself as a pro athlete. The, the first point you made, I think the problem is that the supplement industry markets billions of dollars and then you have people like on forums, they parrot the same shit that they read in some bodybuilding magazine in the 80s or 90s or what some guru says on YouTube who's selling yeah. supplements. Yep. They, they want you to think that you need protein powder, amino acids, supplements, weight, you know, all this shit, but they don't mention the food aspect because there's no profit in selling food. There, there's no, yep. you know what I'm saying? So the food companies want to sell the garbage food. They don't want to sell the whole food. So there's zero marketing pushing the healthy whole foods and there's billions of marketing pushing the crap food and the, and the crap supplements. So that's the problem. And your second point makes a great point, but like I live in a part of the country where, you know, people live very high end lifestyles, but they live paycheck to paycheck at the same time. So both people are working, they have two kids, they have three uh, cars, luxury cars, they have a huge house, you know, and they just live beyond their means. So your second point, unfortunately, a lot of the people listening to this, you're pretty much fucked. It's from, it's from um, my experience, unless you're willing to kind of, you know, pull in your life, you know, goals. Cause everyone wants to, to be married with two or three kids with two or three cars with a huge house, you know, with a yard and all this stuff. And it's just not realistic in today's society. So I think, I think those two points that you hit on are perfect, but it's a, it's a kind of one of those things where um, people want to show off, you know, more than they want to kind of care about their health. And that's probably something that's hard to reverse. What do you think? Um, yeah, well, I mean, your priorities are dictated by your schedule. Every, I think everybody can meal prep. It takes an hour. I think that everybody can do three workouts per week. It depends on the goal. Like if your scenario where everybody's kind of stressed out or everybody's really busy, or everybody's trying to show off, um, it just depends what you want and what time you're willing to put into it. It's, it's, I think it's, it's a very simple equation to me. Um, your priorities, or your schedule is going to reflect your priorities, period. And if you have wild goals, then you better have a wild schedule. But if you have modest goals, which is getting um, muscular and strong and lean to a non-extreme level, it's something that's totally doable. I've had business executives hire me. I actually worked with the president of Pepsi and he was able to follow my plan. So I don't think anybody's getting busier than him. I don't think people are getting busier than my athletes either with their travel schedule. So I think that it's just a matter of helping your client with their schedule. And that's something that I do. Um, I have PDFs that I send out with my programming, teaching people the basics of grocery shopping, of meal prepping, of how to create a schedule for yourself, all of that stuff. Because you'll find a lot of this stress washes out in the end if you're prepared. So teaching client preparation and prioritization, I think that uh, people, and then obviously modest goal setting, you have to have a serious conversation about what's realistic and what's not. Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, that, that that'll solve the problem. Dan, I, I, love, I love that last point about goal setting because all the time I have these people reach out to me for coaching. They're like, okay, Trev, so I listen to your podcast. I'm ready. 
uh, I want to win my pro card. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty severe goal. Um, yeah. how long have you been weight training? Oh, I was thinking we're getting a gym membership next week. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right, let's do it. 12 weeks. <laughs> no, well, they, think, they think they can do it next year. They're like, well, well go ahead. The fitness you. industry, have you guys noticed the fitness industry is the only industry out there, sports related, that people actually think that they can just shove their ass with steroids and work out and be a Mr. Olympia. You don't, yeah. you don't hear that like for, like if I want to play hockey, I ice skated probably twice in my life. Yeah. Like, I'm not stupid enough to think if I shove steroids on my ass and just train for it, that I'll suddenly become a professional uh, hockey player. And Trevor yeah. lives in Canada, and his the pond behind his house is frozen almost the whole year, and he's not even a professional hockey player. <laughs> How the hell am I going to be a professional hockey player? It's, it's, it's funny that you say that specifically about the industry, because it is only our industry. Like when you see Michael Jordan on the Wheaties box – Nobody thinks that he was an NBA champion because he ate Wheaties. Everybody's just like, all right, that doesn't make any sense. He's just on the Wheaties box. He didn't get basketball skills from eating Wheaties. But then for some reason, people connect Jay Cutler to Celtic because he was on the bottle. And it's like, no, hold on a second. Supplements don't have this effect. You need to, you need to remind yourself of Wheaties and Michael Jordan before you look at any of the bodybuilders who promote L-carnitine and fat loss. Well, well I think I think Joe Waiter in the '80s like did a great job of convincing people of this through those magazines. Like everyone would always buy those bodybuilding magazines, and they'd see like the guys on the cover and stuff, and they'd see the supplements. But like he, they did a great job. Like he was a genius when it came to that. Go ahead, Trevor. What I was gonna say is, if you go to a place like Thailand, what's really interesting is that they're more interested in supplements than steroids because steroids are illegal there, right? So what happens is they see this magazine ad with you know Ronnie Coleman using NO Exploder or whatever, and they're like, well, that's the ticket. They don't even like acknowledge the fact that you know steroids are gonna be way more beneficial than any stupid pre-workout, but because that's accessible, it doesn't interest them. And I think the same thing is here in North America is because steroids are illegal, then it's all forbidden and it's, it becomes sexy if it's what you want. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like when you're 17 and you're not allowed to drink, you want to just drink so bad because it's like so cool and it's not allowed. But then as soon as you turn 18, you go to the bar like once or twice, you're like, well, this is kind of boring. I'm not yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's funny you say that because I was actually on a vacation once and you can actually get um, testosterone for free over the counter at the pharmacia. You go to the pharmacia, you can get testosterone. It was $9. But if you wanted protein, it was $49. I was like, whoa, whey protein's $49 and testosterone's $9. Let me just weigh my, <laughs> what's going to have the greater effect here? It's so funny you say that because that made me die laughing. You have to be careful though in Mexico because a lot of those pharmacies are fake. And if they oh, yeah. suspect you're a tourist, they'll sell you fake product. Oh, yeah, it was just the concept. I would never, ever do it, but it was just the concept that made me die Well, Dan, Dan, you could pass as Mexican, but Trevor, you'd be screwed. <laughs> Trevor, doesn't, Trevor, you're too pale. I'm sorry. I'm Canadian, though. Everyone likes Canadians. They wouldn't sell me fake stuff. They'd be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this tourist in the <laughs> You'd have to have a Canadian flag somewhere on you, though, just to make sure. People might think you're from Russia with uh, that skin tone. Yeah, I get that a lot. Well, I'm half German, half Russian. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Dan, this is a really interesting podcast for our listeners. Where can they learn more about you? Yeah, for sure. So you can follow me on Instagram at Dan Garner Nutrition or on Facebook, Dan Garner Strength Coach and Nutrition Specialist. I'm always posting about training, nutrition, labs, all kind of mindset stuff. I post pretty much whatever's on my mind or whatever new research I found on those outlets. I can also be found at coachgarner.com. But for anybody who's interested in how to set up a business online, um, I've successfully done this thing with the coachgarner.com and also hockeytraining.com is the world's largest hockey training website. It's Google's analytics, not mine. So I'm actually teaching people now at createfreedom.com how I moved from the gym floor to working 100% online from home. So if they're interested in the nutrition and training stuff, I got outlets for you. But if you're interested in learning how to create an actual successful online business from someone who's done it, then go to createfreedom.com. 
Dan, do you work with regular Joes or do you work generally just with professional athletes? I work with anybody. Yeah. And that's one of the things a lot of people will say, I only work with pro athletes because that's what people normally want to talk to me about. But I'll work with anybody. The, the predominant of my clientele are athletes and actually personal trainers who are looking to get the best possible results and kind of learn my process. But I, I still have general population and regular Joes on my client roster today. Okay. What about bodybuilders? Are you interested in that? No, I don't do much bodybuilding work. I used to, but then my kind of passion went more towards general population and working with athletes. I still do it, but not as much as I used to. There's probably, to be honest, there's probably better people to talk about getting ready for a show than me. I, I still work with primarily bodybuilders, mm -hmm. but the biggest difference I've found with bodybuilders versus athletes is that Let's say a bodybuilder screws up and goes off his diet and, you know, eats a bunch of chicken wings and beer and everything. Mm -hmm. That bodybuilder will beat himself up about it for a month. Like, you'll yeah. hear about it over and over. If it's like a pro hockey player, he'd be like, yo, man, screwed up, ate way too many beer, went yeah. out with guys last night, I'll stick to my diet for the, for the rest of the week. You, he, he won't even think about it again. No, I know. I, I don't know what it is about bodybuilders, but they're just so obsessed but it's not in a good obsession. Like, like there's, there's healthy obsession and then there's negative obsession, like crying over spilt milk. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, there's, there's kind of two things. There's commitment and obsession. Commitment is, is found on someone who is attracted to what they're doing, whereas obsession is actually fueled by fear. And there's a big difference. When someone's attracted to what they're doing, they're committed to it. When someone's obsessed, in many cases in our industry, it's fear-based. So it's like, uh, hey, Trevor, so like uh, you put, uh, I know you, you said I could have green vegetables, but I looked and asparagus actually has 0.5 more carbs than broccoli. So like, is it okay if I have asparagus instead of broccoli? It's like, yes, you can have asparagus instead of broccoli. So in, in those cases, um, I think with bodybuilders especially, it's important to kind of, ring them in because a lot of times what they need isn't necessarily more knowledge what they need is more coaching and there's there is a difference there and i think that being able to talk to them and bring them out of the fear mindset is something that can really give them the fuel to their fire to allow them to sustain a bodybuilding career because it's very hard to sustain if you live your life in obsession and fear I once had a client email me what color of asparagus he wants him to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So those are like the key indicators of um, somebody who's making their decisions in fear instead of in commitment. Dan, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. For our listeners, even if you aren't interested in hiring Dan as a coach, definitely give him a follow on his social media outlets. He's posting really, really good information. I follow him. And I mean, he's posting stuff that is not your average stuff that you'll find on bodybuilding.com like it's really unique studies unique literature things that you probably haven't heard you know a hundred times over like you already know the importance of taking vitamin d in the winter he's not posting stuff like that yeah for your host trevor Carrison, for my co-host steve smee and for our special guest coach dan gardner it's been another episode of evolutionary radio live your life look at doing it thanks for listening